Good morning. How we doing? Yeah? Y'all ready for Christmas? Yeah? Yeah? Right on. Everything all wrapped? No. No. Uh, nah. My wife's like, oh, she's all like got it going on and I'm just, I'm lagging. I got to tell you, <laughs> I got some wrapping to do. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just praise you for the majesty, the glory of our Messiah. God, what an awesome time. What a, what a great privilege we have in this, this season of Christmas to worship and celebrate you, Father. Help us to see you, Jesus, even more clearly this morning through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit and prepare us, God, to hear and to listen and to speak, Father, that we might glory in you. In your son's name, amen. All right, well, we're continuing again this morning in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, so you want to go ahead and turn there. And, you know, every Christmas, one of, the, one of my favorite things to do is to watch a Christmas movie, and I'll take any Christmas movie, really, but as long as I get one Christmas movie in each year, I'm happy, and typically, it's A Wonderful Life. That's typically my go-to Christmas movie, and, and yes, I still cry like a girl when Clarence gets his wings. To just, I'm just confessing that before the congregation. Watch my wife just shake her head like, oh, man, my husband. So, so we're going we're gonna to really hit and, and major on a couple aspects of who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, namely Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But that all happens in this amazing poem that Robert's already kind of brought us through last week. But just like a really, really good Christmas movie, this poem bears repeating. So to kind of just refresh our minds and kind of pick up the rhythm again of this amazing Jewish poem, I'm just going to hit it again and just real lightly and briefly go, th- go through the, the lead up, and then we're just going to really dig into those two verses of, and two characteristics of Christ as, as the everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And, then, and you'll notice, for many of your translations, you'll notice that the way they've laid out the text shifts right here, and it's kind of paragraphed in sort of a different way and dented in. And that's a clue, that's your clue that, okay, now it's shifting its literary form from kind of a narrative, sort of prophetic narrative form to a poetic form. So now we're, now we're in poetry, okay, starting in verse 2. He says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Is that not beautiful? I mean, it's not just a beautiful piece of poetry, just that idea of darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Notice the words here. He's using words like gloom, and then when he gets into this poem, he's talking about darkness, and then it's not just darkness, but deep darkness. And as Robert mentioned, remember when we were going through all the kings and how the, the Jewish nation just suffered under one king after another? It's just like each king, each generation, each new king was typically going, you know, from bad to worse. And it was like, oh man, another king. What kind of king are we going to have this time? What sort of foolish battles is this king going to draw us into? How much of our children's blood is going to have to be spilled because this king thinks it's a good idea to go chasing after so-and-so, you know? Or this king that's just 
so into himself and is, is so rebelled against God. How much discipline and judgment are we going to be under this time? It's just been one, one, you know, one step forward, three steps back, going from one king to the next. And so they are in a, they're in a dark place. You know, Judah is attacked by the Assyrians. I mean, Israel, the northern kingdom, has been attacked by the Assyrians, which is where Galilee is. And Judah's facing exile with Babylon. It's a dark, this is a dark time for the nation of Israel. And I wonder for us, you know, even in the holiday times, and even for some of us, especially in the holiday times, it can be a dark time, can it not? You know, there can be real stress with the family. There can be breakdown and separation. And those breakdowns that we've had in the family through the years, they become most poignant at this time, don't they? Sometimes it can be a dark time, Christmas time. And the nation of Israel is facing a very, very dark time. But in the midst of this darkness, he's also speaking about a great hope. Look at the other word, the contrast. And throughout this poem, the contrast is just awesome. You know, it's a dark time, but they've seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Is that not the ultimate contrast? Darkness, deep darkness, and light I love, and you, you see the quote on the bulletin on, on the title slide, the quote from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. When the fellowship is, they've spent a little time of rest with this group of elves in this little Elvis kingdom, and, and the queen of this, this Elvis kingdom, they're about to set out on this journey, and this journey is going to be a dark journey. It's going to be a very dark journey. And she gives each one of the members of the fellowship, she gives them a gift. And Frodo... The, the kind of the, the key figure in the whole story she gives, it's interesting, she doesn't give him a weapon, but she gives him this little vial, and she says that in this vial is light, and it's gonna shi- it will shine in the darkest place. And in fact, the quote, is, the quote is beautiful. It's J.R. Tolkien says, may it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. It's not beautiful, yeah? And isn't Christ that to us? Even as we go through dark times, even in the midst of holiday, finances are stressed, relationships are stressed. We walk in the shadow, all of us walk in the shadow of death. You know, my family, my parents are getting old, you know, and, and that shadow is looming large, and we all walk in that to one degree or another. And it's this life can be awfully dark at times, and yet our Messiah is the light that shines forever. It's a light that will never go out. And it will always shine brightly on us. Hallelujah. That's our, who our Messiah is. That's who our Savior is. He goes on to say, You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Look at all the joy in this passage. It's like joy, rejoice, joy, gladness, right? Well, this is joy, joy, joy. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest. So we don't live in an agrarian culture anymore, so we kind of miss the point in terms of the joy of the harvest. But let me put it this way. Imagine if you got your, your, your paycheck once a year, all right? All the money that you make, you get it one check at one time once a year. That's kind of what it's like to be a farmer, all right? And... Not only that, imagine not just you getting your paycheck at that one time in the year, which, by the way, probably the month or two just before you get that annual paycheck, those months are getting probably pretty thin, are they not, Mama? 
cupboard's getting a little thin, isn't it? And when you get that big paycheck for the annual, pay, you know, the annual harvest, it's time of celebration. But not only for you, but the whole community. So the whole community, they all get their annual paycheck at the same time. Tell me there are not some parties going on that month. Amen? So that's the kind, he's, he's going there to try to express to us the joy of the Messiah, the advent of the Messiah. It's like when the whole town has its harvest and it's like, whoa, we've got, you know, we're full. Our larder is, our larder is full. We're blessed. Dividing the spoils, you know, having won the victory and all the spoils that go with that victory. I love it when the, when the scripture says that Jesus, that we are an inheritance with him and, and that he will divide his spoils with us. And what are his spoils? His spoils, he's conquered all things, everything, and he'll divide those spoils with us. Family, we are, we are in for a payday that none of us really understand. I'm just telling you right now. I, it'll, we're just going to look at each other and go, we had no idea. You know, it is, it is awesome. It is going to be an awesome time of celebration. So that's what, that's what Isaiah is encouraging these people in this really dark time with. And it is, it is going to happen. For them, it is going to happen. For us, we've already seen it happen, have we not? We've seen the Messiah come. We don't have to go up to heaven to bring Jesus back down to us. He's already come. We don't need to go down into the grave to bring him up from the dead. He's already rose from the dead. He is reigning and ruling from heaven now. He is reigning and ruling in in the hearts of each of us who believe in him, right? His kingdom is now, and we walk and reign and rule in his kingdom with him. Some of you are saying, well, John, you don't don't watch the news, (laughs) right? But is it not true that as a believer we call him Lord? He's our Lord. What does Lord mean? Lord means rule. It means king. And we are walking in his kingdom now as believers, and he is ruling through us in this world. Not completely. And the first advent is in part. The second advent is in fullness, right? But we are in his kingdom now. So we're, we're in a great position. We are, in, we are in the latter days, having seen the first advent of the Messiah. Continue on, verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, oppressor, you have broken us on the day of Midian. So what, why, why is all the rejoicing? Where's all this rejoicing coming from? You know, we've got this harvest. We've, we're, spoiling the, the, we're dividing the spoils. What, what, is, what, is the, what creates that? What, what is the core of that? What's the content of that? What does that really mean? Not metaphorically, but in realness, what does that really mean? Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor have been broken on the day of Midian. Do you, are you, are you, do you feel a heavy burden in this holiday time? All of us have some burden. Some of us have a heavy burden. Some of us aren't feeling such a heavy burden. But at some point during the, the year, during our life, during the season, we're heavy burdened, are we not? Jesus says, come to me, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen? So, he, Jesus has broken that yoke of burden, that fear. Oh, no, another king. Oh, no, another war, another destruction. 
Jesus has broken the burden of that. He is the staff that, that we get beat up with. He's broken that staff, the staff of, of, of getting beat up and, and the weight of oppression. To sum up, God has broken the burden, stopped the beatings, and ended the heavy weight of oppression. And that means now. Not entirely, not completely, but in a long ways now. We are free from judgment. We are free from the penalties of our sins. That's the, that's the greatest victory. All the rest is just mopping up action, as Robert shared last week. Jesus has won the key battle already. Everything else is just mopping up. You know, and we get to celebrate his triumphant return. Verse 5, for, the, for every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. No more war. No more bloody boots. Amen? No more sending our kids off to Asia and Europe and the Middle East. No more war. And for those of you who have served this country in that way, you have some sense or maybe even a deep sense of what that really means. No more of that. There's coming a day where there no more be the boot of the oppressor. oppressor. Amen? Why? Why all this? How does all this happen? Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. For the government shall be upon his shoulders. For the past two weeks, I've just had handle in my head the, the Messiah. I just, it's just been building in me for, the, for two weeks. For the government will be upon his shoulders. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist that. <laughs> it's just been in me for two weeks. It's like Handel's Messiah. This is like the, the you know, it's the Hallelujah Chorus. What can I say? I told Izzy early in the week, I sent him my customary little text, you know, to kind of give him an idea, okay, this is where we're going, just, this is what you guys could set up for worship, and I told Izzy, you know what, if you could just do the first movement of Handel's Messiah, that'd be just fine, and then while you're at it, maybe get a hundred-piece orchestra, and, you know, a big giant choir, and just, in fact, while we're at it, just do all three movements, all right? Cool. I gave you two, I gave you five days warning, put it together, right? And he's like, yeah, you're funny. We don't know that. We don't know that song, exactly. But it's just such. It's just so beautiful. I, and I encourage you, maybe uh, whatever you listen to, whatever you know, Pandora, whatever he is, put put Handel's Messiah on there. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is read Handel's Messiah. It's amazing. It's three parts. The first part talks about the advent of Christ. The second part talks about the passion of Christ, and then the third part talks about the return of Christ. And it's all he pulls scripture. It's, it's all just straight, quote, scripture, and it's awesome. It's beautiful. So I encourage you to take a, look at, take a read of that. Just look up, you know, Handel's Messiah, the lyrics. It's just, it'll be a blessing. All right, so his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You know, Father is such a profound word, is it not? It means so much. So some, some of our experiences have been awesome. Some of our experiences have not been awesome, but... Even even so, it's just such a powerful world. I, I, I was thinking about my dad, and you know, when my dad was in his, his strong adult 
kind of zealous, you know, stage of his life. And I was just a tiny little boy. I remember he, he worked a lot. He was a hard worker, you know, big worker man's hands. Um, and my sister and I would go. He'd be working late at night as usual. And so my sister and I would go and bring him dinner. And, and he w- we'd give him his dinner, and they'd be on break. The whole plant would be on break. And he would grab his dinner, and we'd just kind of hang with him and, and wait for him to eat his dinner. And, of course, I'd get bored, so I'd go out to the line. I have this big processing line. It's a food processing plant. And I'm running along this line was this giant, long conveyor belt. So I thought it was really cool to hop on one end of this conveyor belt. <laughs> and I'd just sit there, and I'd just ride along the conveyor belt. And all the, all the workers would be sitting there on their break, and all of a sudden they'd see this, like, 10-year-old kid go <laughs> going by on the conveyor belt. And I'd be, like, waving at him, and they'd, they'd crack up. They'd think it was really funny. And then I'd wait until the very last moment to jump off the conveyor belt. And at the end of the conveyor belt, it would roll around the, the roller, the drive roller, and then there'd be this long ramp of, of rollers where the packaged goods would roll down into where they pallet and chip out. Well, this one time, just as I jumped off, I slipped, and my foot went down between that drive roller and that first free roller, and it just started pulling me down like a, like a press. And in my head, I'm picturing like that cartoon character, you know, that goes through that thing, and I come out like two-dimensional flat, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, you know, what's going to happen when it gets to the top of my leg? And I can't, I can't pull it out, and it's just, pull, it's just driving me down. And I let out this blood-curdling yell, and all these men come running, and at the forefront is my dad, and they, like, hit the emergency stop, and it, like, stops. And it stops, it's, like, up, up to here. Praise God, you know, I didn't get farther than that. Um, and they hit the stop, and, my, and, they're try, and then they try to, they're trying to pull my leg out, and they won't budge. They can't get my leg out at all. And, like, instantly, I don't know how, how he did it, but instantly my dad has got, like, he's got his tools out, and my, dad, my dad's very mechanical. He can, he can turn a wrench, all right? But I've never seen him turn a wrench like this before. He had that whole, that whole line, that whole belt line. He had that thing un- detached from the floor, like, it seemed like instantly to, to me in that point. And I just remember his big, you know, big hands with all his veins popping out. Just He's like a human Makita drill, and just cranking that thing off. And they, and they backed off this whole line. I shut, basically shut down his entire line for that night. Backed off the line, and and then and and he's just so in in my mind and my memory, he's just so big and pumped up, and 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 I'm expecting like I'm in for it big time. I mean, I just shut down his whole production, right? I, I am so I am so in for it, and instead he picked me up and he was like so gentle, and I remember these big hands holding me, and he was just so gentle, and he carefully set me on this pallet of boxes and. Then he started, you know, palpitating my leg, like, okay, is anything broken? Is anything bleeding profusely? He kind of checked me out. Once he checked me out, he's like, are you okay? Looked in my eyes, and I'm like, yeah, I just scared and freaked out. He said, okay, okay, and then back to work, right? That's my dad, okay. You're okay. <laughs> you know, you're, nothing's going to kill you. It's back to work. So, um, but that was my dad, and, and I, I love my dad. And, and, of course, he's a little, little old guy now, but at, at that time, he just had a lot of zeal. Um, and yet, you know, all of our dads are temporary, are they not? You know, even the best dad, even the greatest dad, at one day we're going to say goodbye to him, you know? And Christ is so much more a father to us. And you might say, well, 
and I, I should address this question. Well, isn't Jesus the Son? Isn't, you know, God, the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? That's right, exactly right. And God the Father is the Father, and the Son is the Son, and, and we don't want to confuse the two. They are distinct persons and one Godhead, you know, one God, three persons. If that's a little confusing to you, just ask Robert, and he'll explain it perfectly to you. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have characteristics and attributes of being a father, right? You could even say that there are some passages where you even see kind of some of the maternal character of Christ. One passage that comes to my mind just thinking about it is um, when Jesus is just before he goes to, before he's arrested, just before he has that whole time with his disciples, and he's, they're in Jerusalem, and he's looking out over Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have, who have killed, stone, killed the prophets and stoned those I've sent to you. How I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. You just hear the heart of Christ in that, that maternal heart, that paternal heart that Jesus has for each of us. He longs for us. You know, we talk about the passion of Christ, and we tend to focus on the passion he went through in terms of just the, the horrific pain of the cross and being rejected and then giving up his spirit and saying to his father, why hast thou forsaken me? And that is all very passionate. And it's right that we get the passion of that. But what's the passion behind that passion? Why does he go through it anyways? Because of his love for his father, A, and B, because of his love for us, his passion for you. The passion of Christ is his passion for you. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy that was set before him? Having us as his inheritance, right? That is the passion of Christ. He has the passion of a father for each of us. You know, I'm, if you, I'm, I'm sure you know how much Don and I just love our grand boys. <laughs> We're just passionately in love with them. We just spent the day again with them yesterday. And they, uh, they're the two of the greatest little boys on the planet right now. I just, I'm just saying, all right? Objectively speaking, <laughs> they're, they're awesome. And, and I was thinking about that last night and how, you know what, that just hardly scratches the surface of how much Jesus loves us. Jesus, our Messiah, the everlasting Father. Jesus is the Father who never stops being wonderful. He's the Father that never stops being our counselor our mighty God, our Prince of Peace. He never stops. He is the forever eternal Father. I was thinking of how a, someone who was raised in a foster situation would really understand the depths of this because it's like, well, what is the next father going to be? What's the next foster family going to be like? What's that going to look like? Same way with a king, right, And that, that the Jews were facing. What's this next king going to be like? But Jesus is forever our Father, not only our King, but our Father. Not only a King who rules, but a King who rules w in a wonderful way, with infinite counsel, right, with peace. That's who our Messiah is. Jesus, it's interesting because that passage, that, that word that's translated everlasting Father, if you translate it literally, it's Father everlasting. And the implication of that, again, kind of a poetic term, but the implication of that is Jesus is not only our Father through all time, 
that Jesus is the father of time. Jesus is the author of time. Scripture says all things were made through Jesus and for Jesus and in Jesus. He's not only a father in time, but he's the father of time. He's the ultimate father. Um, I want to read this passage in Revelation 21, 6, 7. It just says it, says it so well. Take a look there real quick. Right there. And he said to me, who's he? Anybody know? Jesus. So in this passage, this is Jesus who's talking. Jesus says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There's Alpha and Omega, first alphabet, last alphabet, the beginning and the end. I am the, I am the bookends. I am the master of time. Not only am I a father forever, but I am the father of ever. Amen? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Hallelujah. We don't need, it's free. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And catch this. And I will be his God, and he will be my what? Son. I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's the king father right there talking to us, his sons and his daughters, his children. Is that not awesome? Jesus the Messiah is the Alpha and the Omega. And he is our king, and he is our father. And we are to him as sons. Amen? So, kind of hitting that idea again of of Jesus as the father of eternity, one place that's always really kind of fascinating to me, I kind of get a little geeked out on this, in terms of time and how Jesus relates to time, is this passage in John 8, 5, 6. I'm not going to turn there, just paraphrase. Jesus says, you know... the Pharisees are challenging Jesus, and, and they're claiming Abraham as the higher authority. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, Abraham's your higher authority? Yeah, Abraham knew me. <laughs> Abraham knew me. Abraham saw my day, right? And before Abraham was, I am, present tense. Before Abraham was, in the past tense, I am present. How do you think Jesus relates to time? He is all times, always present. Amen? That's who our Messiah is. That's who our King is. It, it is awesome. So just take, take the geek, geek them a little while further, and this is kind of self-indulgent. Maybe I shouldn't even take the time for it. I'll just say it real quick. Time is a funny thing, is it not? Einstein kind of pointed that out to us, right? We, th- we experience time as this constant thing. And we measure time. Clocks are always measured the same way. But actually, time is a variable. Time changes. And what warps time is mass, right? So the closer you are to the planet Earth, the slower time goes, right? Just like the Earth warps sunlight as it goes, passes by it, it also warps time to the point of, you know, we have all these GPS satellites going around the Earth, right? 
the, the way your GPS knows where you are is by knowing where these satellites are at what time, okay? But they have to offset the time of those satellites a little bit to make your GPS accurate. If they put the satellite time exactly on our Earth surface time, your GPS would be off by about six miles because time warps as you get close to a mass. Just a little, little interesting fact. Your science lesson for the day, all right? But who's the master of this time? Who's the master of all energy and matter and time? Even the very fabric of time itself is not, does not capture Jesus. Jesus captures the fabric of time. Jesus actually is the author of the fabric of time. That's who our Messiah is. Amen? All right, so he is everlasting father, father everlasting. I want to read one more, uh, well, second to last passage that we're going to jump to. This is Colossians, and really Paul, really Paul sums up all of this message in one passage in Colossians. It's an awesome passage. Let's turn there real quick. It's Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Paul says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, right? Even if we're having a dark time this Christmas time, remember, He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Is not Jesus like the most majestic of all? I mean, this is the Savior that chose to come to us in the form of a humble servant and to die a humiliating death on the cross, the creator of heaven and earth, all of, you, all of the universe created for him and through him and by him. And he chose to come to this earth and, and die that kind of death to set us free, to give us a light, to shine the light on us in the midst of our darkness and our lostness and our, and our brokenness and to lift the heavy burden off of us and to destroy the oppressor. That's who Christ is. That's the Messiah that we celebrate this Christmas. And what's really, I think, even more amazing to me about Jesus, all this power, all this authority, all, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, right? That's who Jesus is. What's amazing to me about that is that he is the prince of peace, that he comes in peace, and he conquers war to make peace. He doesn't go to war to make war. He goes to war to make peace. And when he fights, the immediate result of that fight is peace. When he finally won our hearts, and for some of us that might have been a long fight, right? But when he finally won our hearts, he won our hearts to give us peace. 
not to oppress us, not to abuse us, but to give us peace, eternal peace, forever peace, peace never fading. And that's the peace that we have in Christ Jesus. Last passage we're going to read and then we're going to pray. Revelations, going back to Revelations 22. Aren't you glad that it ends with Revelation 21, 22? I'm so glad the Bible ends with that, those passages. 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. Night will be no more. There will be no more darkness, and we'll have the immediate present light of God, the Creator, the Messiah, and, the, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will re- reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are awesome. You are our Messiah. You are the master of all things. You are the creator of the universe. And you are our father. You are intimate. You are close. You are the Father that loves us with passion, with a great passion, to the point of coming into flesh, the very flesh you created, and entering into that and taking on the form of a humble servant and dying in our place. That is the depths of your passion, and yet you rule forever in light and in joy and in gladness. And it is our inheritance to have and to celebrate this Christmas time. Father, open the eyes of our heart that we might fully understand who you are and the joy and the glory we have in you, Jesus. Amen.